Welcome to the McLean Church Podcast, where we discuss how our lives and our faith come together in practical ways. Now here's your host, McLean Church Campus Pastor, Ben DiStefano. Well, hey everyone, and welcome to season two and episode two of the McLean Church Ministry Podcast. I'm your host, Ben DiStefano, Campus Pastor for McLean Church Erie and McLean Church Digital. We are back for another week of the second season of the Immerse Challenge, again, answering your questions from the book, Beginnings. So thanks for joining us and let's get going. As always, I'm joined today by lead pastor of McLean Church, Brian Kelly. Brian, great to have you back for week two of season two. Good to be back, Ben, and exciting to be talking about uh, these these ancient books. And it looks like we've got some really great questions that have come in this week. Yeah, so, so if you're following along in the readings of the Immerse eight-week plan, uh, we've just concluded Genesis and talk about drama, hmm. intrigue, action. I mean, this is the stuff that you would see on Netflix even today, right? Genesis is just the absolute best book of the Bible. <laughs> it really is. It, 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 it occupies uh, primacy of place in, in the, the, the Hebrew canon for good reason, because there's just, there's so much here, so much depth, so much richness, so much complexity in how the narratives are structured together. And it really, uh, if we would let the book speak to us in its own terms and on its own level, it really will properly set the stage for us understanding and reading the rest of the Bible. It's just, it's just, it is a tremendous book. Is it fair to say it's like a, a prelude to the rest of the scriptures? A, a, absolutely. And this is certainly how, um, how, uh, Jewish scholars understood the book, uh, that it really, it really set the whole thing in motion, not just in terms of what it told us, uh, factually or historically, but in terms of, um, how it narrated God's work in history, uh, with all the, all the messiness, all the intrigue, um, it, it is, it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's like a drama series on Netflix. It's like the old episodes of dynasty or Dallas, right? <laughs> I mean, not that I watched that. I'm just saying, but if your parents did, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that's it. Right. So, but it feels like that, right? I mean, it feels like this, what is going on? I thought this was and, the Bible. And, and, right? and, and why do we like, uh, why do we like, uh, those shows? We like them because, um, in so many ways, it is our life, even though it's not our life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just different enough so we're not too closely connected. But at the core, it is who we are and where we are. And it resonates with something deep inside of us. And, and, and Genesis, if we allow it to, really speaks to us at so, so many uh, very deep levels. So let, let's, let's, let's kind of live there for, for tonight. Sure. And let's get to some questions that we have. First off, uh, can you help us with uh, the marriage scenes that we see in Genesis? <laughs> it, it seems like we have this uh, monogamous theological view in, of Scripture, um, yet throughout the Old Testament, here in Genesis especially, we hear stories of multiple marriages and and other relationships and the like. Um, what what is our twenty first century mind to make of all of this? 
Well, the, the, the first thing uh, that we have to get our mind around is that it's all there. And, and, and what we're reading uh, is, is really there and, and you can't explain it away. Um, the relational norms, the sexual norms of the ancient world are very different uh, from what they are in our present day. And so um, you have um, God's people engaged in all kinds of things that make us blush and yet it's there uh, without much, if anything, critical being offered in response to it. And um, a proper understanding of the text should leave you really a little bit unsettled <laughs> with all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, maybe it's not as neat and clean as we like to try to make it. What we can't do with the text is we can't try to explain it away. We can't try to say, well, uh, you know, there were different circumstances in this at that time that made this okay. No, I mean, you had um, the primary characters of many narratives um, engaged in multiple relationships, both inside and outside of a marriage covenant. And yet at the same time, you have this ideal that is affirmed in the text as well. Uh, you have this, this monogamous ideal that's affirmed not only in texts like uh, Genesis uh, 2.28, where, where you have this commentary on, on the first marriage, which clearly depicts it as a monogamous relationship, but you have it depicted in stories, you know, um, uh, 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 Jacob and Leah, who also now becomes married to Rachel, so you know uh, a monogamous relationship that's that's clouded by 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 polygamy. It's it's all there, and it's all a mess, and God is in it too, and working in it. Yeah, so which so makes us. <laughs> makes us rightfully step back maybe from the categories that we create in our mind to try to define the world. Yeah. <laughs> so would it be fair to say that the ideal is definitely there? God's ideal for marriage is definitely there but it doesn't mean that when we live outside the ideal, not that he's condoning it, not, but when we live outside the ideal, it's not as though we're cursed and God will never speak to us or use us or, or be involved in our lives. Well, yeah, that's absolutely true because he obviously worked uh, through characters in the Genesis narrative that were involved in all kind of seedy, seedy relational pursuits mm -hmm. and, 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 and God worked with them and through them. Um, I think another aspect of this though, Ben, is that we also have to give the characters time to develop and grow and mature. Right. And um, Genesis reflects a very early stage of understanding of uh, relational ethics, of sexual ethics, of God's ideal 
for the creation order. And God seems pretty patient to allow people space to grow more towards his ideal. Mm-hmm. And, and most of those characters never get there. Right. But God seems to be patient, allowing them to grow towards it. And, and that's what God does with all of us in, right. in, in, every, in every aspect of, of his ideal plan. But the Genesis narrative maybe knocks us off our high horse a little bit, uh, knocks us off our black and white understanding of the world and forces us to see God at work in some places that we might not think he should be at work. And, you know, again, uh, you know, having having studied this book um, in in depth, you know, your first tendency when you see some of these episodes is, well, there's got to be an explanation for that. (laughs) There's got to be an explanation for it. There isn't. It's, It's all happening. It's all there. And, mm-hmm. and God is there as well. Is it, is it fair to say it's almost like um, it, it would be unfair to take a 21st century Christian worldview, post-resurrection worldview of faith and the scriptures and lay that upon the characters of Genesis and say, why aren't you better than this? A- a- absolutely. To, and, yet, and yet this is what we do all the time. Yes. And it? that's where I was going to go, to which it would also then lead us to say, well, then shouldn't we not lay 40 years of a Christian life and experience on a person who's 20 years old that just turned their life to Christ and expect their life or their walk to be instantaneously um, um, uh, in, in sanctification like ours is or Absolutely, you know what I'm saying? Because we yeah. wouldn't want an 80 year old person of faith. Mm-hmm looking at our 40 year old life of faith right. and evaluating us that right. way. You right. know? Uh, again, it just, th- these old Testament narratives, they just force us to grapple with the gray. Mm-hmm. They force us to grapple with God at work in less than black and white scenarios. Mm-hmm. And again, our, our post enlightenment mindset, and, and the, you know, for, for those of us who, who came out of a more conservative wing of the church, our, our, more, uh, our, our, our mindset to always see things in categories of, of, of black or white, good or bad, evil or good, you right, know, right. Um, that all combines when we look back on these narratives to create a lot of disequilibrium in us because we say, you know, how can you, uh, you know, how can you have these prime characters? in the biblical narrative involved in so many seemingly sordid behaviors. They are, Yeah, they are. Yeah. And, and, and yet God is, is moving them and moving all of creation toward this ideal, which certainly as it comes to relationships and sexuality becomes more and more apparent as the biblical text unfolds. Uh, but there's always this dimension of just the grayness. Yeah, and it's well. and it's not like so. So I guess it's not like God's condoning it. God's just saying this was the reality of where they were living, and yet I still met them there. Exactly. Okay. That that's a great way to say it.
because you you keep asking us appropriately put ourselves put ourselves in their shoes in their context in their world and if we really do that to 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 your point earlier this was the world they lived in this is what they knew and 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 so they're living in the world that they know god is calling them to a different kingdom mentality they're not there yet but god doesn't stop working in the midst of their progress as they as they progress right a a way to say it might be to say that you know god god always has an ideal um that's revealed in multiple places throughout the biblical record that, that that there there are ideals for the creation order god is always asking his people to move toward the ideal but what he evaluates is the movement not where the movement takes place on the scale so i I know our reader our listeners can't can't see this visually but if you think of uh if you think um of a line on the table in front of you and the left hand point on the line uh representing the furthest point away from God's ideal in, in, in any area of life you want to pick, right. um, how you manage your time. And the right uh, point being God's ideal for time management. God's always asking us to move toward his ideal, but he seemingly doesn't give any more credit to the person who's further toward the right than they are toward the left he gives the credit to to how much movement is taking place regardless of where that's happening on the Mm. scale if that that makes sense so maybe for the genesis patriarchs um uh, the 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 patriarch who who went from having 22 wives down to 17 you know was was moving at least he moved yeah was moving toward god's toward god's idea well it reminds me of jesus uh a parable about the talents yes the one who was chastised was the one who buried it and that's did nothing right. ergo right. no movement right there was no movement right but and 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 I, and I think where this really comes into play is how we evaluate other people because we're so quick to judge if a person in our mind is a long way away from this point on the right mm-hmm. god's ideal that's not we, we don't have the right to judge that way uh, because that person may be way toward the left, but they're taking huge steps toward the right, even though they're not there yet. Right. We, we have a tendency to judge other people's steps and distance, whereas God is simply celebrating movement. That's right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So maybe that brings us to uh, a good setup for question two. Um, the idea of blessing and cursing yeah. in the scriptures. It's a theme even I in I wish own... you would have started with this, by the way. Yeah, this well, was a much better one to start with. Than... Well, we can edit it. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's a theme that, that even in our world today uh, is probably uh, misrepresented, but people will often say, 
oh, I'm blessed today. I'm yeah, blessed by right, God. I'm, right, you know, God's right. blessed me this way. I'm blessed. And, and not to, you know, take a, a lot away from that, but, but as they receive something positive in their life, they, they, you know, people will say they're blessed in life. It, interesting. As a side note, they never talk about they're cursed by God. <laughs> but anyway, um, we see this. So in the Genesis, getting back to Genesis, we see this in the family blessing or the distribution of family rights in the story of Jacob and Esau. Yes. The question is, why did God bless Jacob after he stole with purposeful deception? It's not like, oops, didn't see that happen. Yeah. This was first degree, willful, mm -hmm. purposeful deception. He stole his birthright from his brother Esau. Why did God bless that? Yeah. So th this is a great question because it really gets to the core of how we understand ancient documents like the book of Genesis. So um, uh, th th this is really critical to understand. The authors of these ancient documents are using perspectives from their world to try to explain what they see happening. So ancient writers are using perspectives from their world to try to explain what they observe as happening. Remember, we said last week that the, you know, it's not like the Pentateuch is being written in real time as these events unfold. Uh, the Pentateuch, you know, these books are are coming to final form, you know, hundreds of years after mm -hmm. the events that they talk about take place. The authors or editors they're trying to make sense of what they saw happen in the ancient world how do you make sense of success and failure it has everything to do with how the gods view it it has everything to do with whether or not the gods are on your side whether or not the gods favor you bless you or curse you. As this new God of Israel's religion emerges on the scene, it's easy to understand that that ancient world mentality gets transferred to the God of Israel. Uh, he acts seemingly like the rest of the gods do, except he does act quite a bit different mm -hmm. on some occasions. Right. But certainly, everything in life because we attribute it either to the favor or displeasure of the gods it would make sense that we would attribute everything that we see happening uh in in israel's life either uh, as a result of the favor or displeasure of this new god that we're worshiping so how do you explain why a scoundrel like jacob and he is i mean jacob is an evil guy Mm -hmm. uh, he, he happens to be the father of Israel, you know, <laughs> but he's, he, 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 he's, he's malicious, he's mischievous, he, he, he's, he's a scoundrel, although he has some really great qualities too, you know, he works seven years for, for, uh, for uh, 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 his wife, um, and how do you explain that he becomes the father of the nation? Well, the only way you can explain it is to say he was blessed by God. And how can you explain in the ancient world why something good doesn't happen to somebody who seemingly might deserve it? Well, the only thing you can say is he was cursed by God. Mm 
This is how the ancients explained reality. The reason we have problems with that is because we have been taught to treat the biblical books like these sterile present-day documents that can be interpreted and evaluated from a present-day standard divorced from their ancient settings. We can't do that. We have to do what God did. We have to give credit to the ancient authors using language they understood, using realities they understood to try to describe what they saw happening in the ancient world. The New Testament writers, hundreds of years later, they, they, they add a corrective to a lot of this thinking. You know, they, uh, Paul, Paul writes, you know, there, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Uh, Jesus would say, God makes his, the rain to fall on the just and unjust alike. You know, God doesn't bless some and curse others. That's an ancient world way of thinking. Hmm. But we've got to let the ancients have their place. We've got to let them have their say. And we've got to uh, be able to interpret the text in light of that ancient world perspective. So why Jacob get the <laughs> birthright? Yeah, I mean, no, I and I, I, so, I think so, that's a great, well, I, but I think some be, of us are because, probably sitting here going, because, right. because in God's plan, Jacob was his choice to become the father of the nation of Israel. Jacob, the scoundrel, is God's choice to do this incredible work of revealing God to the world. The question should not be, why didn't Esau get chosen for that? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a post-enlightenment question. Mm -hmm. The question should be, why did Jacob get chosen? Why did God choose this guy with so many flaws, so many issues to become such a pivotal character in his work? And the takeaway is, oh my, if God could use Jacob, <laughs> maybe he's got a plan for me. And of course, the New Testament writers tell us, uh, yeah, absolutely, God does have a plan for right. us. Right, and and back to your previous point in 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 opening up tonight, um, Genesis is is the prelude for the entire Scripture. Yes. So if this is in the prelude, or or if this is part of the thesis statement of the Scriptures that yes. Genesis writes, yes. then well, that's why. David is who he is and you know because yes. he's no you know great guy either oh David's terrible <laughs> I mean the the, the 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 texts when we really get beneath the surface of the text of David's life I mean yeah it's <laughs> I mean I mean right 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 to the end I mean why when he's dying you think they they throw the teenage girl in bed with him right because David likes his sex. And, and this is this is a way that maybe we can revive the dying king, you know, mm. uh, give him this young girl to sleep with him. Right. This this is the deathbed comment on David. 
And I would and argue, yet, and yet David, David is a man after God's own heart. The apple of his eye. What What are you doing? I, exactly. And I would argue that that's David from the beginning. I don't. In fact, I, I think I did this in a message uh, a year ago or two years ago when we were in the other part of the building, where I said, uh, this was David from day one. David did not go out to fight Goliath because of some spiritual morality. Yeah, it absolutely. was about money and women. Absolutely. The king was going to give and, a tax break and, and he was going to get his daughter. all through the text. And it, and it just, but it followed him the rest of his life. Yes. And yet, in the middle of his brokenness, God still used him. And he writes, you know, he's attributed with writing these psalms, these prayers to God that, that I mean, move move our hearts, you know, mm-hmm. today. To this day. Yeah, yeah. 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 But so, so again, the, the big takeaway, not to make this all academic and intellectual, the big takeaway is, oh my, if, if, if God is working with these people and in the midst of these circumstances, when I look at the mess of my life, when I look at the mess I am, when I look at how far I live from God's ideal in area A, B, or C of my mm-hmm. life, I've been taught uh, by this dualistic post-enlightenment mentality that I'm either all good or all bad, and God doesn't see me that way. He, he, sees, he sees me as a work in, in, in progress, <laughs> yes, and he's present even in those areas of my life that that aren't all neat and, and tied up. And the, and the power of that message for today is the grace and the compassion and the love and the forgiveness, because what we've done in a cancel culture is we've canceled people yes. because of their brokenness. Absolutely. You are now disqualified. Yes. And that is just not the narrative of Scripture. And the beauty of that is is that from the beginning this was god's design yes and and so glad that we can go back now and recapture that but boy if we would have had that mindset well and and isn't isn't this what jesus recaptures Mm -hmm. jesus almost uh takes us back to the book of genesis in his life because now he's interacting with all the people who have been written off but who, by the way, seem to uh, look more like the, the heroes in the Genesis story, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're the people God, uh, God in the person of Jesus is, 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 is being attentive. Yeah. To. And then when you get to Hebrews and the ancients were commended. Yes. <laughs> the cloud of witnesses, the cloud of faith, scoundrels. Doesn't it just mess with your head? It does. It just the, it gives me a headache. The book of Genesis is just it's just great. But it rests, it rests, it brings up this idea and it leads into this next question. It brings up this idea of the sovereignty of God. Yeah. So so let's 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 go to Joseph and right. um this this idea of God's sovereignty plays out in Joseph's life as well. Um how does how does God's sovereignty in Joseph's life speak into our lives? Joseph's, Joseph would say, would, would look at his situation and say, God intended this for good. Yeah. Like, uh, great for him to have such a good perspective. I'm not sure I'd have that, but he did. And then uh, with that, how should we, how should we view our prayers for help in our suffering, assistance in our circumstances, 
uh, our prayers of hope for the future. When I'm sure Joseph had those prayers, but didn't understand when they were going to ca- happen. He just trusted because he he had this mindset, God intended this for good. What do we do when it seems like the answers never come or they take a long time to come to fruition in our lives? Oh my, I mean, this is a, this is a multi episode question. So let's try to keep it focused on how we interpret the book of Genesis. Sure. Again, the, these stories aren't being written down in real time. They're, they're being written, at least in their final form, hun- hundreds of years after the fact. Um, we know that when people write histories today that we consider objective histories, um, oftentimes perspectives are put in the characters' minds that they may or may not have had at the time the event actually happened. Hundreds of years after the Joseph story, it's so easy to see that even though this was a tragic happening uh, in the life of Joseph, but I mean, the whole story, you know, it's, it's, it's 80% tragic and 20% positive. Hmm. Centuries later, the perspective is almost reversed. The, the 80% negative is, is, is almost forgotten because of how positive the 20% was. And, you know, could, could, a, could a, a, a later author um, have been putting words in Joseph's mouth? I mean, I'm, I, I, I'll leave that for, for our listeners to think about. Um, but it would seem there's some cleaning up or sanitizing of the narrative hmm. to reflect a later world perspective. Isn't that true so often in our lives that um, it's only when we get away from the, the tragic that we can see that still in, in some bizarre way, God was working good. Mm-hmm. The very, uh, the, the um, violent thing we do to this story and the understanding of it is to make it sound like God caused the 80% bad so the 20% good could happen. Hmm. I think that is a very, very dangerous interpretation. And it begins to ascribe to God qualities and uh, actions that are not fitting to his character. I think what the story tells us is what we all know that in God's economy, often even in the, the midst of, of horrific experiences in our lives, God can work to bring good out of those experiences 
even if it takes centuries maybe to see that good. So the Pentateuch tells us God is always on the side of the oppressed. God is always listening to the cry of the uh, brokenhearted. The New Testament writers will tell us, yes, God is seemingly at work and present in everything, uh, ultimately bringing about good resolve. But sometimes that takes a long time to see and having that perspective in no way attributes God with causing bad things in order that good things might emerge from them. And yet, isn't that how many people today view God? Oh, causing, causing tragedy. A, 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 absolutely, because we have so championed God's sovereignty um, that we've excluded human freedom. Mm -hmm. And so God gets credited with all kinds of things, uh, good and bad, that, 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 that might not necessarily be appropriately uh, attributed uh, to him. Yeah, and, and so if in, 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 in a writing of Joseph's story hundreds of years after the events, the recorder making the comment, you know, God intended this for good, is could be could be a a retrospective comment after the fact maybe inserted for dynamic purposes in in joseph's mind or mouth you know in part of the story but it may have been after the fact well i i, I suspect and this is going w w way deeper into the origins of the text than we want to get today but I suspect, you know, the Joseph story circulated uh, orally for, for probably centuries before the author or editor of Genesis put it to print. I suspect very early on in the Joseph story, this became part of the narrative because very early on, people could see that, oh my, it's through this tra these tragic events in Joseph's life that 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 we get to egypt but it isn't interesting that when we get to egypt it it becomes enslavement again mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so so it's only intended for good for a little bit right you know right. but then we're enslaved but we're enslaved uh so that we might uh uh, come to hear or, or recognize this new God who's who, who's a, a friend of slaves, you know, so there's this up and down mm -hmm. uh, a pattern to, to the narrative. And I suspect very early on in the text's development, this became part of the story. And, and I mean, perhaps going right back to Joseph, perhaps, you know, because this is what he said in the moment. Uh, again, We've got to give the human dimension of the, the story, though, due credit, because we know historians all the time put, put thoughts and words in, in, in people's mouths that, you know, they may or may not have said. Mm -hmm. And we consider it history, you know, because the historian was at, uh, acting on, on, on an informed understanding of the time. Again, I think this became attributed to the story probably very early on because in hindsight, you could see 
yes, there, this was terrible, but there was a dimension. God was still at work in the midst of it. And it doesn't change that moving forward because no. even, even in the New Testament, Paul says, and God works all things all together things. for good. I, I don't know that he was echoing Joseph, but we could, you could put the two side by side and say. Absolutely. I mean, Paul's very familiar with the Joseph narrative. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and this narrative should be this, this wonderful, should be this wonderful encouragement to us all in both the minor, the minor disruptions of life and, and the big, uh, the big tragic disruptions of life that, oh my, uh, the God who is at work in Joseph's life, he's, he's, he's present in my life. And, and I know that somehow this story can still have a good ending, even though the chapter I'm in right now is really terrible. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, I think that's a lot of that. That's hope for a lot of us. For, for all I think, of us. Yeah. I, yeah and I think for us. all of us at certain seasons of life, we're in chapters we don't like yeah. and, but, but there's hope. Yeah. There's hope. Yes. Well, hey, you know, another great discussion on uh, on Immerse Beginnings. Uh, don't forget to check out all of our resources that we have available at mcleanchurch.org. From there, you'll see the link to the Immerse Beginnings page. You'll see how to pick up one of the Immerse Beginnings books, as well as downloadable family resources, personal journals, and a link to the audio recording of the readings. There are also links for mon these Monday gatherings, the Facebook group, and also how to submit your questions. All right, Brian, we're headed into week three. Any thoughts on Exodus and what to expect there? Well, my, um, you know, Genesis is still the best book in the Pentateuch, but but Exodus is a close <laughs> second. So uh, especially if you are, if you're following our Leviticus series, um, really, uh, really, really, um, uh, do your best to, to, to embrace what you read in Genesis and follow the big storylines mm. because it really sets the stage for what happens in Leviticus. Great, great. Well, that's our show for today. My thanks to lead pastor Brian Kelly for joining us today. He'll be back again next week as we answer more of your questions. And a big thanks to our Immerse Gathering audience, both live, in person, and on Zoom. Audience, give it up. <laughs> if you're interested in being part of this gathering and podcast audience, you can join us at our Edinburgh campus on Mondays in February and March of 2021 from 6.30 p.m. to 8 o'clock p.m. or join in via Zoom. Again, to see all things Immerse offered by McLean Church, visit our website at www.mcleanchurch.org. You can also enter the discussion happening on our Facebook group page. Just search McLean Church Immerse to join the group. Remember to submit your questions for a future podcast uh, to questions at mcleanchurch.org. That's questions with an S at mclanechurch.org. We'll be back again next week with more of the McLean Church Ministry Podcast and the Immerse Challenge. If you'd like to support the podcast and help impact a region for Jesus Christ, visit mcleanchurch.org slash give and make a donation in any amount. For now, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.